This morning we look at the Word of God, Exodus chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. Exodus chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. It says, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, For God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he encamped at the mountain of God. And when they had sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other about their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in all the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now, I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because this affair they have dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. May the Lord bless and use the reading of his word today in our lives. Good morning, church. You're doing well? Uh, these are the folks that don't mind cold weather. Uh, the rest of them are coming for our second service uh, because they're like, you know what, we're just going to wait uh, for it to warm up a little bit uh, later in the day. Uh, quick question. Uh, would you raise your hand this morning if you would consider yourself an introvert? Ra raise your hand. All right. It is a trick question, uh, because if you were truly an introvert, you would never have raised your hand in a, in a crowd. That's, that's not the way introverts wait. The reason that I bring this up is because we are heading into uh, people season. Now, I need to be really clear. People season is not the same thing as deer season and duck season. But what I mean by people season is it's coming into that time of the year where we have extra events that just draw lots and lots of people, and we are around lots of people. We have Thanksgiving family meals. We have Christmas family meals. Several of you probably will, will go to two, three, four, five Christmas celebrations, Thanksgiving celebrations that, that, that have a lot of things going on. You will have social events at work or school or wherever you are where you have extra times when you are gathered around people. Even if you're like, you know what, I'm skipping the family celebration. I don't go to any parties. Well, you still got to go to Walmart. And Walmart is going to have extra people. Now, the truth of the matter is, is that when I talk about people season, and there's just going to be extra people, and you're going to be around people all the time, some of you are sitting in this room saying, isn't that great? I cannot wait. It is awesome. I love this time of year. I love being around the people. And for others of you, well, just hearing those words makes you more than just a little bit anxious. 
you have a little bit of an anxiety kick that tricks, triggers in. Now here's the funny thing. Those of you that are excited about the season, you can't even imagine that there are people who aren't excited about the season. And those of you that are a little bit anxious about the season, it does not even, it boggles your mind that there could be someone that would actually look forward to this kind of season. But here we are. We are going to be in the middle of people season. Now the reason why I bring this up about people is because as we're working our way through the book of Exodus, we come on one of the most beautiful people passages that I think that we find in Scripture. We find this incredible passage of Scripture that speaks to Moses and a profound relationship that he has. Hey, in fact, as we look here, in the middle of the wilderness, in the middle of all the drama and chaos and conflict and complaining and all of those things, in the middle of the multitude of people, there arises a beautiful relationship. And there arises a relationship that feeds the soul of Moses, a relationship that has huge impact on his life. It is though it is a sudden splash of color in a black and white movie, this relationship that Moses has. You see, I think one of the realities of our modern world is that we are surrounded by people and yet have very few relationships. We are surrounded by connections. We are surrounded where we bounce into people all the time. But we have very, very few real, deep, meaningful relationships. I would say to you that one of the biggest lies on the Internet, and by the way, there's a bunch, but one of the biggest lies on the Internet is that Facebook says that I have over a 1,000 friends. I can tell you that that's not true. Some of the people that are on my Facebook feed, if I were to get $1,000 for every person that I would know who they are, I would not have $1,000 more than what I have. There's a bunch of people. I don't even know who these people are. They're not real friends. They're people that I've crossed paths with at some point in time. In fact, as I look at this passage of Scripture and I see this example of profound depth of relationship, my sense is that very few of us would be able to say, you know what, I have all the deep, meaningful friendships that I need. Most of us would say, I need some people in my life that know me and love me and share life with me. And so we take a look together at Exodus chapter 18, and I want you to just notice some things about people <laughs> and what good are people in our relationships. Uh, the first thing that, that we need to know is that relationships feed our soul. Relationships feed our soul. The picture that we have here in Exodus chapter 18 is of a reunion. It is a reunion where Moses is reunited with his wife and with his two sons. 
Now, we don't know exactly when the separation occurred. Remember, Moses is called from the wilderness when he has the moment with a burning bush, and God says, go back to Egypt to the place where you are from, and I want you to go back there, and I'm going to use you to free all the nation from Israel and uh, from Egypt. And so Moses goes back to the land, and we even have a little bit of a picture of Moses and his family going back to Egypt. So we know that his family went back to Egypt with him, when the separation occurred again, we don't know, but at some point in time, Moses' wife and kids got sent back, got sent back to Midian. Now, maybe it was just the case where Moses was just like, listen, I'm going to be so busy with all of this stuff that, that I'm not really going to be able to be around. Maybe, maybe it was a case where some of the situation became dangerous and some of the uh, reactions against Moses, both from Egypt and both from his own people, were so harsh that, uh, that Moses says, listen, it would be better if you go home. It may have been that, listen, you don't have to live through these plagues. If you don't have to, you've got a place that you can go. It, it may be that when they went through the, the hardship of the wilderness without food and water, it may have been that they said, you you know what, we're going to go back. We, we, we actually know people here. We're, we're going to go back and find, find our people. But whatever it is, in Exodus chapter 18, there's this wonderful reunion where Moses is reunited with his wife and his children. We don't see a lot of detail about that, but we know how rich that is, those kinds of relationships. I was in a store yesterday getting ready to pay for something, and in front of me was a dad and a daughter and they were picking out Christmas stockings. I don't know anything about them. I don't know their names. But I could just watch the dad, the daughter. I could see the way that she looked at him, and he looked at her, and the fun that they were having just picking out these stockings. Man, relationships just feed our soul. But in this passage of Scripture, as rich as it is the reunion between Moses and his wife and his daughters, the camera of Scripture actually focuses on the relationship with Jethro. Now, Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. Now, we know this because eight times in 12 verses it says Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. I don't know why that has to continue to be uh, emphasized. I don't know why that just continues to say father-in-law, father-in-law, father-in-law. But that's the relationship between the two. Nobody knows Moses better than these individuals. Nobody knows Moses better than his wife. Nobody knows Moses better than his children. Nobody knows Moses better than his father-in-law. Think about Jethro and the role that he had in Moses' life. Remember, it was Moses on the day that he ran away from Egypt. I would say because he was accused of murder. It's no, it's because he was guilty of murder. And he ran away. And just kept running until he ran out of juice and then sat down by a well. And he actually meets Jethro's daughters and helps them out. And Jethro's daughters go back to their dad and say, oh, man, this guy came and helped us. And Jethro says, well, where is he? Well, he's back there. Like, Wait, you left him back there? And Jethro receives Moses, who has no home, who has no life who has no family, and Jethro receives Moses into that family. Jethro has walked with Moses. He knows what the last 40 years has been like. He has heard the stories about how Moses grew up as a prince in Egypt. 
And he knows that he's had to humble himself by being his father-in-law's shepherd. He knows all of that story. He knows the story that when Moses came back on that day and said, guys, you're not going to believe what I saw. I saw a bush that would not be consumed by the fire. Well, that's pretty amazing, Moses. No, 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 that's just the beginning. I approached that bush, and the bush spoke to me. Whoa. Well, the bush spoke to me, and it was God. Whoa. And, and God has told me that i got to go back to Egypt. Whoa. And i got to take your daughter and grandkids with me because I'm going to be the avenue by which the people are rescued. Pharaoh and all of Egypt. Nobody knows Moses. Nobody knows Moses before and after quite like Jethro knows him. And maybe as a father and a father, they understood each other in that way. And so Moses had left to go and do the impossible. And now Moses is back having been part of the impossible that God did. And it tells us there's this reunion. It tells us that when Moses sees his father-in-law, he bows down and he kisses him. It reminds us of the reunion between Joseph and his brothers. Even though that family was messed up, there's something about relationships that feed our soul. So in the midst of all of the things that Moses was having to deal with, food, water, leadership issues, direction, organization, all of those things, this reunion between his wife and his children and his father-in-law is so important in his life. I would say that you need to have relationships in your life. I, I can't tell you the number of relationships you're supposed to have. I can't tell you how many close friends you're supposed to have. I can't tell you all of the structure of those things, but I will tell you that there's not a person alive that doesn't need to have relationships that feed their soul. And secondly, I would tell you that relationships feed our soul, but I would tell you that right relationships help us to process life. Right relationships help us to process life. Not every relationship is a right relationship. You don't have to say that out loud. You don't have to say amen to that out loud. But we know that, don't we? Not every relationship is a right relationship. Let's just be honest with one another. There are some relationships. There are some relationships that do harm. Maybe because the nature of that relationship is a wrong relationship. Maybe because the other person on the other side of that relationship is a harmful person. Not every relationship is a right relationship. In fact, some relationships, in fact, do harm. There, there are other relationships, well, I would just call them harmless. They're harmless. Now, 
That's also the best that you can say about them. <laughs> They're harmless. It's not doing any damage to my life. But there's not a whole lot more that we can say about that. There's not a whole lot more that those relationships bring uh, to our life. But every once in a while, we will have and know and experience relationships that are right relationships. Part of what we see here is in this relationship between Jethro and Moses is that they come together and they bow before each other and they kiss and they go into the tent and they sit down and the scripture tells us they asked about each other's welfare. They hadn't seen each other in a while. And they looked each other in the eye and said, how are you? How are you? How is your life? How are you doing? Jethro had already heard all of the news. He had heard all of the headlines. He had seen all of the results. But when he goes into the tent with Moses and says, but how are you? How is it with your soul? How is it with your spirit? And, and, and Moses asked Jethro some of the same questions. He, he may have some sheep that he still remembers. Of the, is that sheep still giving you trouble? Where, where, where are you finding pasture in these days? Have you missed the kids? How, how have the kids been doing? Did I miss a birthday? They ask each other, how are you? How is your welfare? And as we look at the passage of Scripture, we see that Moses tells stories. Moses tells the story about the plagues. He tells the stories about what it's like to go and face Pharaoh. He tells the stories about what it's like to have his own people reject him and be angry with him and to make accusation against him. He tells the stories of how scary it was to stand with the Red Sea behind him and Pharaoh's army coming toward them. He tells the stories of amazement that says where God showed up when I never thought that God would show up. He tells the stories about the time there was nothing to drink and he hits the rock and the water comes out and rescues in that moment. He tells the story about the manna. He tells the story about the quail every single morning. I wasn't there. I'm getting older, but I wasn't there. I think this is the first time Moses gets to look back and talk about these things. I think he's been so busy experiencing and having these things swirl around him that when he sits down with Jethro, who knows him, it's the first time he gets to process and to speak these things out loud. Listen, you need to have relationships where you can tell your stories. Sometimes things stay bottled up inside of us until we can find a safe person and a safe place where we can speak our story out loud. And I don't know about you, but I know a lot of times it is in the process of speaking my story out loud that I finally begin to understand my own story and what has happened around me. I've got to have someone that I can speak that story to. Sometimes, well, I know in this case, Moses speaks his story, and Jethro listens. Sometimes we don't have a whole lot of opportunities where we can speak our story. We have even less opportunities where we can speak our story and somebody actually listens. 
You ever been in a conversation where you can just tell the other person's waiting for you to finish your lines so they can say what it is that they wanted to say? Have you ever been in a conversation where you're just waiting for the other person to finish talking so that you can blurt out your wisdom and your insight or your funniness or whatever it is that you want to say? But in this relationship, Moses had the opportunity to speak it, and Jethro listened. He listened to the victories. And if you look back at the text, I think it's verse 8, verse 9, he listened to the hardships. He doesn't minimize it and say, well, you knew it was going to turn out okay. God told you it was going to turn out okay. No, no, he listened. He listened as Moses told the hardships. And then it says that Jethro rejoiced. Man, I'm so happy for that. I'm so glad that happened for you. That is fantastic. Again, we, we don't have enough places where we can speak our stories. We have less places where people who will hear our stories. And then even in some of the places where people hear our stories, they want to compete with our stories. Or they're jealous of our stories. Or they're insecure about our stories. And the importance of having somebody that simply says, I am grateful for what God has done in your life. And I'm so happy about what God has done in your life. It is almost as though God has done it in my life. Because I'm so excited about what God has done in your life. And so they told stories. They listened to stories. They rejoiced for one another. And then they went and worshiped together. They went and worshiped together. Now, now the background of Jethro is a little bit confusing because from the moment we're introduced to him, he is introduced as the priest of Midian. Now, is he a believer in Yahweh or is he a pagan? The text doesn't seem to tell us. It just kind of leaves us in this gray area. I don't know. So I can't tell you one side or the other, but I will tell you that as he hears Moses' story, he believes in the one true God. Now whether that is new faith or whether that is greater faith, I don't know. In fact, as he hears the stories of Moses, he says, now I know that God is greater than all the other gods. Now in some sense, that sounds like new faith, but I gotta tell you, Moses now knows things about God that he didn't know before. There's a whole people of God standing behind the two of them that now know things about God that they did not know before. But this relationship is a right relationship because they told stories, they listened, they rejoiced, and it had spiritual depth because they worshiped together. There's a whole other plane of our relationship that can only exist when we share the deepest thing possible in our lives. And that is our faith. And there's lots of folks we can like. There's lots of people we can enjoy. There's lots of people that we can help. There's lots of people that our lives interact with all the time. But when we share faith, oh, that makes it a right relationship. It adds a texture that we can't find anyplace else. 
In fact, there are some people in your life that may not be as funny, may not be as rich, may not be as a hoot to hang around with. They may not have a boat, they may not have a camp, they may not have tickets to the game. But they have the same faith that you have. And that's worth more than all of those things. Because it feeds our soul, it helps us to have a right relationship, it builds us up. Relationships feed our soul. Right relationships help us process life. And then I'll tell you that godly relationships, godly relationships keep us on track. Now, we're going to peek ahead into the text for next week. Just forget it as soon as we're done talking about it. Forget it so you'll be fresh next week, okay? But we're going to jump ahead just for a moment. After this time of worship, after this time together, the next day, we, we don't have all the dialogue, but Moses says to his father-in-law, why don't you hang out and watch what I do all day? I think there's a part of Moses that says, listen, I'm a busy guy. You know, when, 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 when Jethro saw me last, I was just chasing his sheep around. But now, I'm a big deal. I'm a big deal. There are hundreds of thousands of people that are here, and all of them think that I'm the most important person here. He, he was a big deal in the wilderness. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Big deal, B-W-I, B-D-I-W. Big deal in the wilderness. That, that, that's what Moses thought. He says to Jethro, why don't you hang out with me? Watch me work. And so from sun up till sundown, people come to Moses and say, Moses, we've got this problem, and you're the only person who can fix it. Moses, we've got this problem, and you're the only person that can fix it. And Moses is just, oh, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. But in chapter 18 and verse 17, Jethro looks at Moses and says, what you are doing is not right. That is not the, ex that is not the response that Moses was expecting. Moses was expecting his father-in-law to say, man, you are a big deal in the wilderness. You are a BDIW. You, you are, man, you have come a long way. Look how impressive you are. Man, this whole place couldn't survive without you. But instead, he looks him in the eye and says, I'm going to tell you something that you don't want to hear. What you are doing right now is not good. It's not right. Man, do you have somebody in your life that can say that to you? Do you have somebody in your life that can prick your pride, expose your blind spot, say something to you, that you don't want them to say to you. Man, we, we got to have those things in our life. It, it's a spiritual discipline. It, it is a spiritual discipline that is described throughout Scripture. It's a spiritual discipline when Nathan comes to David. It is a spiritual discipline when, when the Apostle Paul writes to the church that says, listen, challenge each other, correct each other, bring each other back when they've wandered off in the wrong direction. But I will tell you, of all the spiritual disciplines 
I think this is one of the hardest ones for us to execute. I think it's hard to speak truth to each other in this way. Sometimes we have the wrong people speak something to us. We got bossy people. We got nosy people. We got nagging people. We got people telling us what to do all the time. But do we have godly people who will speak into our life as a prophet, as a voice from God that says, that's not right? Now, I got to tell you, Jethro doesn't have the ability to speak that in verse 17 if he hasn't lived with Moses in verses 8 through 11. If he hasn't been with him, if he doesn't know him, if he hasn't listened to his story, if he hasn't rejoiced with him, if he hasn't worshipped with him. He can't just show up and boss people around. But when you have the kind of relationship that you know each other, and that you care deeply for each other, and you're moving in the same direction, and you have listened to their life, and you rejoice with them as though the goodness in their life is the goodness in your life. Then, then you have a platform when you can step in and say, hey, that's not right. This is really hard for me to explain because I just think Scripture is full of this discipline, but we can get it wrong in so many different ways. I think sometimes we have this picture that this is when we have an intervention and we rescue someone just before they go off a cliff. It's hard to do that sometimes. I think this means living our lives so close to each other that every once in a while we just tap somebody on the shoulder and say, hey, bring it down a notch. Hey, man, I just hear some anger inside of you. Hey, can we talk about that? Sometimes it's just saying, man, I feel like you're, you're a little bit off track. Man, I haven't seen you in church or small groups, Sunday school in a while. And sometimes I think one of the mistakes that we make on this is that we just wait until just the moment before somebody goes over the cliff, we'll flip a coin and maybe I'm the person that's supposed to talk to them. But I think we're supposed to live our lives knitted together with one another, spiritually attuned, and caring for one another and present in each other's lives so that we can do this. Again, this doesn't mean that you get to be a nag. That's not what this is. This doesn't mean that you get to be bossy. This doesn't mean that you get to control somebody else's life. This means because you love them. As you love yourself. That you'd speak to them something that you would want them to speak to you. And that there's a correction. Because I believe that God uses those relationships. I don't have a thousand of those relationships. You'd probably guess that. But I can tell you the names of four or five people in my life because I know their walk 
and I know that they know me, and I know that we've shared life, and they know my journey. That they knocked on my door, they called me, they drove over, and Tim, we're worried about this. Or simply like, man, you got to get some rest. You got to work harder. Whatever it is that I got to hear. I don't have a thousand of them. I've got three, four, five of those people. And my life is richer because of it. So where do we find those people? Where do we find those people in our life? Well, one of the places can be family. One of the places can be family. And in fact, this kind of relationship, this kind of knowing each other, this kind of love, this kind of cheering for each other, this kind of rejoicing, this kind of worship, man, those are goals for our family relationships. But it's not always family. Moses actually had some closer relatives that we know. And they were a pain in his neck. They sometimes brought more harm than benefit. But there was something about the proximity and the spiritual vitality and the trusting of one another. I would say to you, maybe it's family. But I would say sometimes these deep relationships that are built on purpose and shared faith, sometimes they come outside of family as much as anything else. I tell you, a great place to find those relationships is here. As you worship together, is in your small group, your Sunday school class, where you share prayer requests, and you hear each other's stories, and you listen, and you rejoice with one another, and then you come and you worship together right here in this place. So sometimes it's family, sometimes it's not. This is a great place to find those people but let me just add one other challenge. Spend less time looking for those people and more time being one of those people. That you become a listener. You become a rejoicer. You become someone who sits and worships with somebody. That you are the kind of person that loves and knows and hears and sets aside your own agenda and your own purpose and your own stuff so that you can be that kind of friend. If all of us just spend all of our time looking for that kind of friend, <laughs> we're just going to bounce into each other. The best way to be to find that friend it sounds like a Hallmark card, but is to be that friend. To be that kind of person. Because people need to find that person. And also you'll 
you'll be drawn to other people that have that same kind of death. 